All right, so do we have Annika there in Canberra? I'm here. Great. Jamila in Melbourne? Sure am. Jan Fran right in front of me here in Sydney. Hello. <laughs> we have assembled the whole team together for the first time ever. <laughs> Hooray! Woo! So this is the 100th episode of The Briefing. Can you guys believe we got here? I feel like we got here really fast. Yeah, Because I, I, right? I feel like we only sort of just, people ask me about the podcast, like, yeah, it started like just three started. weeks ago. Yeah. And, and we're already at 100 episodes. Yeah, we yeah. We turned 60 but weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wonder if we're aging faster as well. Definitely. Early mornings, they do it to you. Is your Dalmatian here for this recording, Annika, or have you got it out? He is, the... he is. I'm just trying to distract him with treats. So if you hear a loud chewing in the background, it is a 16-month-old Dalmatian. We got the whole team together to thank you, our listener, for being with us so far on this journey. Yeah, we love having you and we love seeing more and more of you joining the listenership of the podcast and those numbers rising. And, I, you know, it just really means a lot to us that we're speaking directly to you and you're obviously liking the podcast, which is why we're still here. And so the idea of this show is that we're just going to take your questions. So you've been writing to us on Instagram. So there's questions for you, Jamila, you, you're nervously sitting there in your chair waiting to see what they're going to ask you. My nerves all disappeared when I arrived this morning in the studio and realised my mask matches my microphone. So I'm here in style, hey. Tom. There is nothing that can faze me today. Bring it on. You are invincible. All right, let's get into our listener questions on this 100th episode. Um, Jackie has asked all of us, um, we'll start with you, Jamila, if you could do a long-form, go-deep, two-hour interview with anyone in Australia, who would it be? Oh, Tom, this is really hard <laughs> because I straight away go to people overseas and people who mm. are dead because the second you tell me what I can't have, that's what I want because that's who I am. That's the kind of person I am. Look, to be honest, right now I reckon the person I'd be most interested in chatting with over two hours is Brett Sutton. Down here mm. in Victoria, he's the chief health officer and he is standing up there fronting the press conferences every day and there's also this sort of weird underground we love Brett, isn't he hot thing that's going on. <laughs> is that why the, you want to interview him? Across the country. I'm not really, I don't really get it, to be honest. He doesn't float my boat. He seems lovely. I'm glad he's in charge. He's doing a really good job. But I'm um, not really keen on anything further, to be honest. But I reckon in two hours... <laughs> I think you would learn a whole lot about what it is like behind the scenes. And I, I want to know about the emotional pressure of dealing with this virus because it must be epic. He also holds the key to your future, which would be quite uh, interesting to understand. Annika, what about you? I had a few on my list. Look, if I was going to interview a chief health officer, I have um, only eyes for Brendan Murphy. He was the one at the start <laughs> that I guess as um, a national issue really sort of guided us through this and I think he's quite an incredible person. I sort of thought about some other names, Paul Keating being a Prime Minister for so long, um, you know, Barry Humphreys I'm a big fan of, but I actually went with somebody I was lucky enough to interview on the weekend, but I only had about 10 minutes with them. And it was VP Day on the weekend, the end of the Second World War, and I was lucky enough to interview a 97-year-old by the name of Guy Griffith, who 
actually escaped a boat that sank in the Malaysian Peninsula. And I just think for someone of that era, we only spoke about the end of the war, but being 97, the things he would have seen over his lifetime. And I asked him a few questions about the coronavirus, but I just think to get that perspective of living such a long time and seeing so many different conflicts and disasters and and good times that he would offer a really interesting perspective, especially at the moment. Yeah, I think we're appreciating history a lot more now that we're going through something so big and you you need to look at those precedents to understand the complexity of what we're facing. And I did get a chance to ask him, you know, how does, it felt silly, but how does living through a wartime compare to say what's going on now? And he, you know, said I would take COVID anytime. And I know a lot of people are struggling out there and whether that be, you know, mentally or financially or their health is not great, but it was just a reminder that previous generations have gone through some pretty tragic stuff too. And, you know, they've come out of it and we'll come out of this too. Jam, what about you? I reckon I would interview a really hectic conspiracy theorist who believes in 5G spreading COVID, that Bill Gates is out there creating vaccines for mind control purposes. And I'd sit with them, but for two hours, not just 15 minutes, two hours. And I just really just want to try and understand why they believe what they believe. And I try and do it as much as possible without just coming from a completely clean slate. So it's not really me trying to rebut them necessarily. It's just, just tell me what's going on here because I really, really, really struggle to understand it. So you want to platform Pete Evans, basically. I want to platform Pete <laughs> Evans. Yeah, that's exactly, what I, that's exactly what I'm saying. But the addendum to all that, though, Tom, is I don't know if I'd actually ever air the interview. You know, you just I, want to do it. I just want to do it. I, yeah, really, I just want to have a conversation rather than actually having an audience. I'm interested in understanding things that I don't understand already, right? And I think in order to do that, you need to sort of approach interviews very differently. And sometimes it does mean actually, you know, legitimising that voice. And is that a responsible thing to do on radio? No, but can you do it in your lounge room? Maybe, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I guess. Dan, you just want some activated almonds and some bone broth off Pete. We know why you're really in this. That it it really is for the bone broth, (laughs) Jamila. That's always my ulterior motive. You got some bone broth? I'll take it. I'll give two. One that probably can't happen and one that probably could. I'd like to interview Harold Holt, the former Prime Minister, <laughs> who disappeared in 1967. Mm-hmm. Like, Harold, where have you been? Yeah, yeah that probably can't Tell happen. us what happened, <laughs> Harold. Um, so the one that probably can happen um, also involves the ocean, Chappelle Corby. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I would love to do the full sit-down. She, she still hasn't done that big tell-all interview. Yeah, well, and what is it about Chappelle Corby that compels you to want to do a very extended interview with her? Well, you, you, you just want to ask that question, did you do it or not? Sure. It seems really likely that you did, but we're and not why, sure. why the boogie board bag? Surely you could have come up with something better. And how are you so good at Instagram? You see, that's what I'd want to know. <laughs> All right, a question uh, for Annika. This one comes from Zara. Annika, what do you think would be the biggest news story at the moment if COVID wasn't around? Look, this might not be a huge shock, but it's the US election. And I preface this by saying when US elections usually happen, especially ones Trump is involved in, like the last one, it dominates a news cycle. I was at Parliament House uh, the sort of week leading up to the last Trump election 
and it was down tools for us. We did nothing. We sort of basically <laughs> sat around watching a lot of US television and pontificating about what on earth was going to happen. And it's almost going along without too much attention. Now, there is obviously some focus on this, but it's all seen through the prism of COVID, the normal sort of policies and issues and who they're going to run with and what they're going to do is just not even there. And I think it's going to be such an interesting time seeing different elections happen, whether that be state ones we've got in Australia coming up or federal ones coming up, seeing how they actually handle this with COVID restrictions mm. and what would we be discussing should this not be an issue? Tom, we've got another question here and we've got a listener who wants to know what your favourite podcast is, aside from this one, obviously, <laughs> and what is your favourite part of being on this podcast? Well, obviously co-hosting with you guys. Thank you. I was obviously. expecting that to be your first answer and it was, so you win. Yeah, really creative answer there. Um Part of what I like about doing this podcast is um, actually working out how to make it better with you guys. So, you know, I was doing Hack before and it was a podcast as well, but it was just a, a replayed radio show. And so the, the difference is how do you make a podcast work that is unique to the podcasting environment, the way people listen to them? Mm. You listen to them through headphones, so that's a different thing. You choose what time of day you listen to it and you you listen to it in a different context in terms of what other information you consume in the digital space. So that's been a really interesting sort of thing to think about is how to go digital first with sort of radio, uh, in inverted commas. Are you contractually obliged to give that answer? <laughs> <laughs> that was pre-written for him. It's in the talking point. I swear, no one made him say that. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah. Look, that's my honest th thinking. Anyway, I, I assume that you're implying it's a boring answer. Um, <laughs> and what's your favourite podcast, Tom? Yes, Separating this one. <laughs> um, you know what's happening now, though, Tom? It's like because all three of us are here, we're like ganging up on you a little bit. I can take it. Can Bring take it on. Like sisters or something. <laughs> all right. We love you. Um, all right. Yeah. So I listened to the, the Daily from the New York Times a bit. Um, their series, The Rabbit Hole, was really good recently. Um, I used to really like Russell Brandt's podcast. Then it went behind the paywall. Um, mm -hmm. I like Sam Harris as well. Don't always agree with where he lands in terms of his views on things, but I like his, he's almost like a mechanical engineer of philosophy and so many different sort of um, I guess, ways that we analyse society, which I find him really, really interesting. Now, Jan Fran, there is a question that has come in from Lauren and she wants to know something perhaps a lot of us want to know. Is all your secrets for finding out where the most amazing secondhand pieces of clothing mm. come from, how do you source them? Lauren slash Annika, great question. <laughs> um, many ways. The first one is um, thieving from siblings only. I find clothes at op shops because I live quite a, quite close to op shops. So I'm always sort of just ducking in on my way somewhere else. So it never actually feels like I'm shopping. I swap clothes with friends. I borrow clothes from friends. I rent. So there's a lot of rentals going on. If I've got an occasion, I'll just like rent a dress and then obviously give it back to the company <laughs> that I've rented from. Let me preface. And then the other one, just recently, my mum actually gave me a jacket that belonged to my grandmother. 
many, many moons ago. It's this gorgeous black woolen jacket made in Lebanon. It's got shoulder pads to die for. It's been in my grandmother's closet since the 80s and she actually gave it to my mum in 2003 and my mum's just been hiding it somewhere. And she pulled it out a couple of days ago and said, oh, this is a jacket for you. And it is the most amazing item in my wardrobe now. So from dead grandmothers, that's where I'd source my clothes from. <laughs> I've never heard you speak with such passion. I love this stuff so much. You know, I didn't think I would love not, because for those who don't know, I don't wear any new clothes. It's all, you know, beg, borrowed, stolen, rented. When I first started doing it in, in early 2019, I thought I'll do it for a year and see how we go. And it has been so much fun. It's been really great to know that you can make your wardrobe circular. You know, things go in, they go back out, people use them, you use other people's stuff and things don't end up in landfills. I think think one source that you failed to mention was your extensive exotic travel. That's where you got a lot of it, surely. Oh, yeah. I did go to a few op shops in France. So here's a hot tip for anyone travelling, which absolutely no one is doing at the moment, therefore redundant. However, once travelling kicks back up again, The way I like to explore a city is to map out all of the vintage stores in the city (laughs) and then go walking from one to the next to the next to the next. And it's just, it's so good because it's such a chill way to have a look around at all of the buildings and the people. And you're also just buying some great vintage clothing. Win-win. Question for Jamila from Kathy. Thank you for your question, Kathy. Um, since being diagnosed with a brain tumour and dealing with the onslaught of procedures and disruptions to your life, do you think this has somewhat prepared you for the turbulence of this year? Oh, good question, Kathy. Tom wouldn't have come up with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, Ouch. we're picking on Tom. That's what we're doing today. I, I like needed it. to lighten the Do mood I? before no. the brain tumour content <laughs> came in. <laughs> you are good at that, Jamila. I've noticed it's actually one of my favourite things about having you on the briefing is you, you're able to twist something serious into something fun and relatable so easily, yeah. like you just did there somehow. <laughs> Well, I kind of, I think it's almost a reality when your life becomes as mine has been for a couple of years, brain surgeries, radiation, and, you know, a whole lot of disabilities. You've got like, you've got to find some dark humor or some lightness in there somehow. And otherwise life becomes kind of dull. And I suppose that comes to answering Kathy's question as well. And obviously there are some really big differences. Previously, it's been kind of all about me in an almost uncomfortable way. My family, my friends, their lives have been disrupted the last few years and the focus has been on me and my survival and my recovery, whereas now we're facing something far bigger, far more existential, and most of my fears are about other people rather than myself. I'm more worried about humanity than I am about me. But I do think it's prepared me because I'm I'm a massive extrovert and I really struggled when I was sick with being home and not being part of things the way I'd like to be. And I kind of had to learn how to deal with that. I think I've got some good mental health coping strategies that I've developed the last couple of years that perhaps makes this a little bit easier. And at home, even though we're very much stuck at home here in Melbourne, as my husband said, no one's having brain surgery today. It's a good day. That is a a motto to live by. (laughs) I should get a tattoo. (laughs) Can I do one thing, which is kick this machine on it because I can hear a hum from it? (laughs) (laughs) By the way, you just heard our technical producer, Lee Coleman there, who is actually the heart and soul of this show, but he just... He just booted something in the studio and shocked everyone. He solved the problem, so he's, you know, thinks outside the box. Good on you, Lee. <laughs> Too much Makona this morning, Lee. <laughs> nice, a blend 43. All right, next question. 
Annika, I have a question for you. You're down there in Canberra. You're with all the politically obsessed people and the people in the know. Who is going to win the US election? I like that you don't include yourself in that, Jamila. As a former political staffer, I think you'd be pretty interested too. But look, it's really interesting. I was pretty convinced last time that Donald Trump would win. And that really um, wasn't evident in a lot of the reporting. I wasn't reporting on it, but just from an outside view. Since that time, I've been lucky enough to actually travel to the White House and see the man in, you know, in the flesh, in the Is that oval. lucky, Annika? It genuinely is. Like, this is a time in history, right? I think any time you get to see world leaders up close and, and how they operate, I think is it's quite Is he that orange, IRL? Yes. <laughs> Okay. Yes, he is. And he's also a lot taller. I always thought he was quite a little person and perhaps, you know, some of his mannerisms and, and characteristics were there because to make up for a perceived lack huh. of height or something. But no, he's actually quite a imposing big bloke. Um, I also last year was lucky enough to go on a journalism program and there was a bunch of journos from around the world uh, and we got to spend a month in the US. And I think those two experiences really take you away. My dog is crying. Oh, what's your, what's your Dalmatian's <laughs> name? His name is Merv. Uh, he's not so interested in the US election. I'll give him a pat. Look, uh, I think the one thing we don't get here in Australia is we do just get the snippet at the end of the news about what's going on in the US. Often it's not very complimentary and, and that's because we're not used to a leader like Donald Trump. In Australia, you know, we have compulsory voting. It means most parties have to try and pull their support from the centre. Whether you sit on the left or right of politics, usually both the Liberal and Labor Party can't stray too far from that centre if they want to get a lot of votes. So it's a completely different story in the US. Now, I think Trump still has a chance. A lot of people will say that he doesn't with how Corona's gone. I, I don't know if he'll win. I'm not confident to say that. Last year, I definitely thought he would. Uh, coronavirus has thrown some spanners in the works over there. But I definitely think he's still got a chance. And it really comes down to, for me, that the media hasn't learnt a great deal about reporting on him. Um, going into the last election, there was a really sort of attitude of this guy's an idiot. And, and it, you saw that with the deplorables and how it was spoken about that if you support Trump, you're therefore an idiot. And I, I felt that when I was over there, the media was still taking this role. They were still trying to treat him as a caricature and, and not really focusing on him as a presidential candidate, a serious presidential candidate. And I think until they get to that point, he's really good at rallying support and, and turning everyone against the media and on those people in Washington that he always talks about. So look, I don't think he's out of it. I think he's going to struggle now, I think. Um, but, you know, Biden's hardly a good candidate. What do you think, Jamila? Yeah, I don't know. I, I was feeling uh, deeply unconfident for the Democrats, I've got to say. Um, coronavirus has changed things up a little bit. And I know that Biden is now leading in the polls. But I don't know, from, from the perspective of the other side of the world, he's not the most inspiring candidate, to be honest. And Maybe Kamala Harris is going to turn it all around for them. And polls haven't proven to be too correct when you look at Brexit and the last election. So unfortunately, we can't put a lot of faith in those anymore. Okay, question for Tom from Thea. Thea wants to ask Tom, what's your hardest smile and bite one's tongue moment hmm. that you've had with a politician? Oh, tough question. I've interviewed, um, yeah, Peter Dutton as Home Affairs Minister and Prime Minister Scott Morrison, Tony Abbott, um, right back to Kevin Rudd as well. Um, 
when Kevin Rudd wrote that massive tome of a book, which no one bought. Two books. Two, two books. books. Yeah. 3,000 copies sold, I think, at last count. 3,000 copies, yeah. I, I, I struggled to ask or word the question about what he was thinking writing such a big volume and what was his real motivation. But I guess often it's it's not a case of like biting the tongue and stopping it completely. It's like biting it for a moment so you can just take a second to think of a smarter way to interject than the way you would if you immediately leapt straight in. And it's funny being on radio, you you get a bit of criticism either way, depending how hard you go in those intense um, political interviews. So I think early on, I was very, very on the front foot and used to jump in all the time. But actually, as I got more experience, I was a bit more careful about when I interjected and tried to time it right. Because often it's just the, the timing and not landing right on them when they're speaking and actually landing in between a sentence and getting in there that can make the interview feel feel right and yeah. feel fair. It feels like a just a off-the-cuff conversation between two people, but an, a, a good interview is really well crafted. It's a craft. You yeah, know? you're listening as much about the arguments for the rhythm as well. So, yeah, that's, that's my non-answer to that question. Mm. You know, Tom, having been on the other side and having in a past life prepped politicians for those kinds of interviews they've had with you, the worst moment as an advisor is watching a politician keep talking and give a long answer because you're like, now, nah, mate, shh, just shut up. You've answered the question oh, really? now. Shush, just shush now. Because sometimes they talk and talk and talk and they think they're filling time or being interesting, but that's actually when they dig themselves the worst hole. Was there any perception about the kind of interview they would get from me or the kind of interviewer I was back in those days? That's a good question. I remember being thinking we had to be really prepared and there was, oh, see, I don't like complimenting you, Tom. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> but there was always a perception that you really had your audience at heart, that you were always focused on young people and what their interests were. You weren't going to ask the standard political question of the day. Thank you for that. I know that was hard for you to say. but It was very uncomfortable. Next question is to Jan from Natalie. Natalie, thank you so much for A, listening to the briefing and B, asking this question. What's been your most challenging news story to cover and why, Jan? Mm. Uh, I reckon it was probably covering a cyclone in Fiji uh, in in 2012. I, I went and covered, this is sort of 2012, 2013, I can't remember the exact date, but I was sent to Fiji to cover a cyclone on my own with a video camera, a tripod, some mics, some lights, my baggage a sort of a backpack that enabled you to beam live from wherever you were, but it connected to another instrument called a BGAN, which is like a very small, sort of like a dronish size instrument that connects to a satellite and you're meant to connect all of this stuff together and beam it live. And the reason I told you that long-winded little intro is because I had to carry all of that equipment by myself to Fiji in the middle of a cyclone. And I don't know if you know what cyclones do to people, but I can tell you they're not friendly to vegans. If you're going to put a little item that looks like a drone on the ground in the middle of a cyclone, it's not going to stay on the ground. 
it's going to get very, very damaged. Incredible. What I love about that story is that it it shows um, what you did earlier in your career, which was travel to all these incredible places and do these amazing reports. Because a lot of people have got to know you since you've developed a big online following, but actually you were really a super intrepid TV reporter for the first half of your career. Yeah, that's true. I had a real job once. Now, a question for Jamila from Safi. I want to know as well, how do you explain to your kids what on earth is happening in the world at the moment? It's obviously incredibly terrifying. They can't go to kinder and school. So how do you possibly explain this? Look, I think it's been really tricky. And you would remember at the start of all this pandemic business, all these like little YouTube clips started appearing with green spiky balls with smiley faces. And I found that a bit like, oh, firstly, coronavirus isn't a friendly cartoon. And second, I also don't want to, you know, scare the bejesus out of a five-year-old in my case. I've got to say, rather than dealing with actually what's happening with the virus, the thing you've got to focus on with little kids is what's happening in their world because a global pandemic isn't something they really need to be worrying about other than to the extent that they can do something. So my focus has been on helping my little kid grieve in an appropriate way for a little kid. You know, he doesn't get to go to kinder. He doesn't play soccer. He never got to start Kick like he was dreaming of. Ballet's cancelled. He hasn't seen another kid his age other than the kids in the street who he's got to stay two metres away from Mm. in six months. Like, that's rubbish. He can't see his grandparents, you know. Does he understand why? He does. We've talked to him a lot about it and I've tried to focus on empowerment. So there's a bad guy, he's five. The world is good guys and bad guys. There's good guys, that's us. There's the bad guy, that's the virus. So we're washing our hands. We're not touching things at the grocery store. (laughs) We're pretending everything is lava when we're out in public so we don't touch anything. We don't swing on things. We put our tissues straight in the bin. So we're trying to focus on what he can do rather than on the dangers, because I think that's easier for a little kid to be able to manage. We'll move on to the um, next question. This one is from Mario to Annika. Dear Annika, can I please ask if the raid on your apartment had an effect on your ability to sleep and rest properly? Totally. I took sleeping tablets for a little while and they were great. Um, (laughs) It was... More probably more horrendous than I actually realised. I'm pretty resilient and really like, we'll just get on with it and it'll be fine and I'll go to work the next day. And there was that delay, which, you know, call it whatever you want, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, it doesn't hit you straight away. I had just kept thinking, okay, my house is re-rated and I might have to go to jail and everyone in the world has seen inside my apartment and um, I'm stressed. But if I just keep going about my life, maybe this will all go away. And then I probably realised a little bit later that wasn't going to happen. But look, I also left my apartment straight away. Uh, I didn't want to spend another night there. Um, there was one of our photographers was out the front of my house and apparently some bloke drove past and said, oh, so that's where Annika Smethurst lives. So I was like, all right, well, I'm not staying here. Mm-hmm. And I also thought they might have been bugged. Um, I was really conscious my phone was probably being bugged and I just felt like I'd all of a sudden all the privacy I'd enjoyed my whole life was gone. Um, I kept thinking the police would come back. I thought they might come back in the middle of the night. So, yeah, sleeping was a real issue. Uh, I started my, – my doctor was really good. Yeah, gave me a prescription for some heavy, you know, sleeping pills and I sort of went, oh, I don't know if I should do this. I'll become addicted. And she said, don't be stupid, just take some and you'll be fine. And sure enough, it was, you know, not a permanent thing, but it just helped me get some rest, which I really needed about that time. Okay, next question. This one's for Tom from Ange. Tom Tilly, are you still playing the bass? (laughs) I'm actually not. So um, 
two years ago was the last gig I played and we did a client liaison tour with John Farnham. We put on our own festival and you just don't get much better than that, standing on stage with John Farnham playing You're the Voice. At Splendor? No, we put on our own festival, um, Expo Liaison. And that's it. You went out on a high. Never touched the base again. Well, I was getting busy with my media stuff and the, the boys were wanting to book in more and more gigs, so I had to take a step back. We weren't sure if that was going to be permanent, but that's sort of the way it's panned out. And so, yeah, and you sort of think, oh, could, do you still just play? But just jamming on your own on the bass. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the same vibe, is it? <laughs> like guitar is cool. You can sit there and play and sing along, but just slapping the bass on your own. Yeah. It's a bit sad. Now a question for Jan from Julia and obviously from all of us here too. Jan Fran, how do you live with yourself when you are that fabulous? <laughs> That's a plant. Did somebody plant this question or is Is Julia? Is that your husband pretending to be Julia? (laughs) I don't know. I think Julia Francis by chance. (laughs) You know what, Julia? I know you're out there and I love you and that's a great question. And we're going to send you a briefing mug. We've got one of those, don't we? And a face mask. And a face face mask mask that we can send out to Julia. So you don't ask questions like that anymore. (laughs) How do do I live with myself and I'm so fabulous? You know what, guys? Um... Look, it's hard. Must come with a lot of pressure. (laughs) Struggle is real. It's hard being this amazing, you know, Um, but someone's got to do it. I don't know. I guess I just... I'm, I'm embarrassed now. I didn't think I I'd like that you're, you actually went there to try and answer the question. Yeah. <laughs> you like, how do I do it every day? Let me think. <laughs> I mean, what about you, Jamila? How do you live with being that fabulous? Uh, well, no one's asked me, which is a bit sad. And well, Tom, probably Tom throwing did. up some questions for my husband, to be honest. <laughs> no, Tom just asked, how do, how do you live with yourself, Annika, being so fabulous? No, Jan, I agree with you. It's hard. It's really, it's, really hard. It's I find it quite easy. Oh, you find it quite easy. It shows. Yeah. It shows. No one asked yeah. you, Tom. <laughs> I, I, I think life would be a lot harder if you weren't fabulous. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, that's well, fortunately, we're all fabulous here on the briefing. It was one of the um, stipulations to getting the job. It's written into the contract. It must be fabulous. And you are fabulous to our dear listener. Oh, yeah. You are wonderful and we love, we love talking to you every morning, even though it's really early in the morning. It's great to know that, that you're out there and you're loving the show. And you know what would be more fabulous? If you told more of your fabulous <laughs> friends about that, it. That would definitely be fabulous. <laughs> and then gave us some fabulous ratings on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Otherwise we'll get fired. Yeah. so That would not be fabulous. Do a fabulous thing. Rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, get in touch with us on the socials. Post on Insta stories. Love that. Please. All right. Look forward to speaking to you on our 101st episode tomorrow. And any celebrations that are happening in New South Wales uh, might be getting uh, restricted a little bit more as well. Uh, oh no, f*** up. I read a stat. Ugh, why am I struggling with that? Victoria's chief health officer. Sorry, I talked over you there. Sorry, no, I talked over you. <laughs> chief health officer. Fresh corona, but, but the country's fresh corona. But, sorry. 26,000 hydroxychloroquine. Is that right? No. <laughs> the Thunder Ripper, oh God, Thunder Ripper, oh my God, that is going to struggle, sorry. But if there was a male name that we could use as a meme. Mm. Tom. <laughs> oh dear. A Podcast One production.